Inspired in part by Sadia Hartman's Lose Your Mother, Lose Your Sister is a meditation on Black feminist sport and diaspora. Treating pop culture as a text, each week we will explore a different topic, film, show, book, event, scandal, etc. A note on creation. As we set out to build this podcast together as an exercise in friendship, cultural criticism, and diasporic exchange, we find strength in remembering that we come from a history of people who have loved and learned from one another across larger distances than this one. In the words of Saidiya Hartman, I too live in the time of slavery, by which I mean I'm living in the future created by it. Situated in this future, Lucia's sister considers how Black people find their way back to one another, interpersonally, artistically, and politically. Hey, Jordan. <laughs> hey, Liberty. <laughs> already start, we usually end laughing, but we already started. <laughs> <laughs> because it really was like, well, who's going to say it? <laughs> we don't usually record in the morning, but it's the morning and it's also daylight savings. Yes. And we're running on <laughs> an hour less than we usually do. Yes. Yeah, I'm holding I'm holding daylight savings responsible for like anything, anything I mess up today. Anti-blackness. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, But you know what? I'm glad that it's sunnier, that we have more um, of a daytime. Yeah, I'm sure I'll appreciate it at some point. But today, (laughs) today I'm not feeling it. Today I miss my hour. Yes. All right. How are you doing? You know, I am, I am. <laughs> That's really the point that I'm at right now. I'm crawling my way to graduation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like that's the point that I'm at. We'll probably talk more like, you know, in the spring at some point about like the different projects we're working on. Yes. But I'm kind of still deep in like senior thesis mode. So that's been kind of stressful. And then I am at the part of like grad school process where I'm like supposed to be making my decision. Ooh, exciting. So that's also kind of like exciting, but also kind of like stressful because you want to make the right choice. So yeah, so I've got a lot, a lot going on, a lot of questions I'm asking myself right now. But I feel like grateful, like you know, to to have the the options I have. So that's kind of where I'm at. How about you? I'm okay. I'm also in thesis mode. I'm submitting a short story. So I've technically already written half of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing like a critical afterward, so I'm working on that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, yeah, I'm okay. The after being like very, very cold and there being lots of snowfall, we had like a very, very warm day in like two days ago in New York. So no, <laughs> no one knows how to act. <laughs> Even yesterday, I went out in like a denim jacket as if I hadn't already gone back to being chilly. Also had um, seafood boil with a friend yesterday. Because really it was their first time <laughs> having a seafood Ooh. boil. Yeah. And so we kind of, we split a lobster together. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like teaching them how to eat lobster. But it was also chaotic because we'd ordered takeout. And we didn't have like the tools, like the crackers. Oh, okay. So I was like cracking the thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was good fun. Yeah. No, I love seafood broil. It's just such an embodied experience. Like it truly it's is. gonna it's gonna take all of you. <laughs> like really yes. to, to get the food out and to eat it and to break all the shells and stuff. So 
it's definitely a fun experience. I would I would love to like have like my first seafood broil again. Yes, <laughs> like just, just like just so- like wipe the slate. Didn't actually no, you know, because I'm thinking about Baltimore, and that's not let you see because I'm no, but but the DMV is still like very like very like seafood heavy. I think yeah. I grew up eating a lot of seafood, so so I feel like that's that's home for me. That's lovely. I love seafood. I love fish and chips. Always terrible joke, but I'm like colonization <laughs> worth it when I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> when that vinegar hits the them chips. I... Speaking of Baltimore, somebody said on Twitter the other day they were like, uh, "Baltimore is the only place where uh, where the black people could uh, could could take over the British uh, film yes. industry." <laughs> was like, Why do people from Baltimore sound like that? Because it's just one city. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess I mean I've always felt like Baltimore just had its. It really has its own like way of being. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like there are, there are a lot of like historical and political reasons why they've been so like, you know, insulated, but I don't know why the like, the accent is so distinct. I love it though. I, I've realized that I really, really like accents. Yeah. Have you met any people from Baltimore? No, unfortunately. But... My, I have, I have cousins that live in Baltimore and like, it's, it's so funny because the accent they is really like... strong. It's really strong. It's so cute. No, I... I love Southern accents. I love Californian accents, particularly like Oakland. Love a strong Brooklyn accent. <laughs> even, oh my God, my friend. So shout out to Dia who Super Bowl. I even know like how or why they do it, but like people from Brooklyn like roll their eyes. Mm. Like, go to the Wendy's. Or... <laughs> <laughs> That's a reference to the video. But... <laughs> oh, what did he say? They went, Durr. <laughs> so yeah all those different quirks yeah mm-hmm. yeah no I think that that I think it's so cute and I feel like it's what I like most about like regional specificity is like yes. you get you get different different types of things that's one thing I've enjoyed about studying abroad in America is getting to know the different regional nuances while I've made friends in different places yeah yeah what have you been watching what media have you been waiting for what have I been watching? So I finished WandaVision. Same. Okay. So like Miss Wanda was going through it. <laughs> she really went through it that I I just don't acknowledge that she held a whole town hostage. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because the whole show you're like, oh, I feel so bad for Wanda. And then you really think about it, you're like, wait a second, this white woman was terrorizing people. <laughs> She's a terrorist, but <laughs> she's like a little bit of a terrorist. Through it. But you but like, but you really be feeling for her. So I don't know. I I really enjoyed the show. Um, and I I have to be honest, like I, I did cry at the end because oh, I was yeah. like, I was like, this is rough. Um, oh, and I felt really bad for her. Yeah, spoiler alert, but the sad part was when she first went to Westview and she finds like the property deed mm-hmm. that Vision bought her. And she's yeah. reading the note and he's like, so something that we'll spend the rest of our lives together, we'll build a life here. And she just breaks down. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. I literally was like, I'm a wreck. Like, I'm a wreck right now. Because I felt so bad. And also it was just like so hard because like she really has to decide between like, you know, like making things right and like 
her own kind of like comfort like you know she can't really Mm -hmm. have all the people that she loves like at the same time and like Mm -hmm. I don't know it just it wore me out because I was like this is this white woman is is going through it and I was just I was feeling I was feeling her pain I I I really felt pain I I appreciate when TV shows or films deal with the trauma that they put characters through because sometimes yeah. I feel like it just throw a lot of people and it's just like, damn, her parents died and her brother died and Vision died. I'm like, yes, that it, she deserves a whole series. Yeah. <laughs> After what yeah. you through. No, I agree. I also think that like, to me, I think sometimes like our engagements with like superheroes is like so flat. Like we don't really think about like, okay, like this is still a person. Like how- Ooh, Exactly. Like, like how how are they handling like just like regular human things like considering the powers that they have and I feel like this was actually a really interesting project in that like we kind of got to see like okay like what happens when a woman with this much power is grieving Mm -hmm. and I thought it was actually kind of like a cool experiment to kind of see like how she would handle it and in some ways obviously no, she's able to do things no one else is able to do. But in other ways, her experience is fairly similar to most people who have experienced loss. So mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of um, a cool kind of moment. And I feel like a lot of other superhero movies, I don't always get that feeling where I'm like, oh, like this is this is how like a superhero does this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was also super creative. Like I loved the whole sitcom. Because mm-hmm. it's to different sitcoms. As we got to like the 80s and 90s that's those are the sitcoms like I've actually watched I was mm-hmm. like oh this is relatable I was like oh I feel seen especially like the Malcolm in the Middle one I was like the mm-hmm. 90s were a time huh <laughs> no I thought I thought that was like one of the coolest parts even the way that they changed the eras like in the different episodes I thought was so smart and like I really liked the way that they they did everything and I think that um what's her name She's Mary Kate and Ashley's sister. Elizabeth. So Emma? Is it Emma? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. I was like, I, I, know, it's an e. I know it's an E. I know it's an E. I know it's E. I was a Mary Kate and Ashley stand back in the day. Everybody, that was a about Eris. That is a time period in and of itself. Like the way I used to watch New York Minute <gasps> My all the time. No, New York Minute's a good film. It's a good movie. I just used to eat up all their content. So I never, I never remembered Elizabeth's name. But yes, you're right. It is Elizabeth Olsen. I think that she does a really good job as Wanda. And I like her in this, in this role. Yes. And also all the effort that went into transitioning through the different time periods. Because mm-hmm. if you haven't watched WandaVision, they actually set it up so it feels like you're watching a sitcom from like the 50s, every decade all the way through to um, the 2010s because they end with Modern Family. And so the script changes, the actors change, like the way they use their voices, the set, the cinematography, like the camera movements, every single detail is like accounted for, even the commercials change. Yeah. And also the commercials get weirder as Wanda gets more desperate and realizes like all the harm that she causes. It's definitely something that you can rewatch. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of layers and a lot of detail. And I think that's what, what comes out the most is that like like this was made with a lot of care and a lot of mm-hmm. thought about like how all these different pieces were going to come together. Um, it's in different areas. It's, it's in different areas. But one area <laughs> that it is in is in the um, FBI's pocket because... <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
Like in, in traditional Marvel fashion, there was Pentagon propaganda. Um, just yes. like last week's episode about, yeah. um, not last week, last episode about FBI's involvement with Hollywood and Judas. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, obviously, I think the Marvel franchise in particular is very good at their government propaganda. I mean, the um, best there is. If we're they're, be they're really quite skilled. And you know what? Like, I just feel like if we're gonna if we're gonna have propaganda, let's at least let's at <laughs> least set the set the bar, you know? Also, you forgot to say that fun fact of the FBI has the world's biggest collection of African American. Oh yes, they have one of the largest libraries of African American literature. It's actually wild. We should post the um the name of the book that talks about it, but it's called FBI's and it's all about like how the FBI basically like framed African-American literature and like was in search of like who would be the next kind of big like thought leaders, but also started doing ghostwriting stuff like in the hopes of like, of like, you know, like making black people like get attached to, to certain writers, like who were actually like feds. Wait, who, who were the ghost, did any of them become famous? I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't, I haven't finished the whole book. I think they just were like, we're trying to infiltrate like black literary circles <gasps> by like creating these like personas. The four of Jack Edgar Hoover reading like their eyes are watching God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying, I can't get over the book club. Pardon? I just can't get over the fact that the FBI had a better anti-racist book club than, than, than most of the liberals. Most of the liberals. <laughs> most of the liberals are reading White Fragility. And that's the funny part for me. I'm screaming. The most universities. <laughs> I was like, how the FBI manage an all-black syllabus? <laughs> No, also, also recently learned that this is this is terrible. That um, JFK, I think it was JFK, used to call James Baldwin Martin Luther Queen. <laughs> now, someone needs to make that their their Twitter name immediately <laughs> because it's rude, but it's funny. Oh no, it's not open, but. <laughs> You do a little something there. <laughs> Too much. Yeah, see, if Baldwin had Twitter, like, I would want him to, like, make that his Twitter name. Yes, I, I feel like Baldwin was a bit precious and a bit... I feel like he'd be very, very offended by that. Yeah, I know. But I feel like, to me, the, like, the best people are people who can laugh. Yes, yeah. I feel like that's something Mal- no, no, uh, Malcolm X Because <laughs> that man was very good at being disrespectful. <laughs> Oh yes, he was. Yes, as no. well as fine. Malcolm but. Malcolm was very measured with his disrespect. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite kinds. Yeah, Taurus King. <laughs> Taurus King, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm following up saying this after saying mashallah, but I also watch Rami. Um, oh. <laughs> like it it was excellent it's really good i say it's up there with 
Fleabag and I May Destroy You. I if I had to rank the best TV shows um, mm. that I've seen, just in terms of writing, it would be I May Destroy You, then Fleabag's number two, then Rami. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's that's quite a review. Yeah. Um the the thing that distinguishes I may destroy you and flee back for me is how they play with form because mm-hmm. what Phoebe Waller Bridge did with like the fourth wall mm-hmm. and also how Michaela Cole threw any like screenwriting rule book out the window and was like, yeah. like whatever I want, <laughs> but I may destroy you is excellent. Um and Rami doesn't quite play with form in that way. But I think it's a excellent it's excellently written because it really considers the points of view of each character. Because it's Rami, who's useless, scumbag, can't stand him. <laughs> and if you watch the show, you'll understand why, because I'm going to get angry again if I think too much about it. So, yeah, and he's, like, in his late 20s, he lives with his sister. And so, um, like, the first episode, Rami talks about Muslim women in a very flat way. But the rest of the show doesn't treat Muslim women in that regard. They really consider their thoughts and feelings, how they fit into the culture, um, yeah. Then we have like an episode about Rami's mother, and so you hear about the plight of like immigrant women and how they can feel isolated. There's also one on um, Rami's father, who's Egyptian, Egyptian American mm-hmm. immigrant. His mother is Palestinian, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, you you hear from all these different perspectives, and it and it's not like a one episode special. Yeah. Um, it's they um, keep those threads running through. Mm. Wow. And Rami's a very interesting character because he makes a lot of terrible mistakes. Like he basically is mainly because of lies. He lies a lot. He lies unnecessarily. And he has like a sex addiction. So he sleeps with people he shouldn't be mm. sleeping with. There ends up being like terrible consequences. And he like ruins other people's lives through these actions. And the show holds him terribly accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Like this completely holds him accountable, which is great because usually in most shows it's like, yeah, he's some bad things, but he's a good, he's not a bad person, really. He's really sweet, yeah. or um, they sort of like glorify those decisions. But no, the show just shows the dangers of not being considerate. That's what it was for me. For me, it was like very self-reflective. It's like, oh yeah, the way your actions can impact others mm-hmm. is very, very serious. And it's similar to me back in a way that it deals with sex and harm. Yeah. They both have um, a dysfunctional main character mm-hmm. who has an unhealthy relationship with sex, which causes harms for those around them. Yeah. They love. And then aside from that, it's hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> it sounds like, yo, it's really, really, really funny. And not just like the main character, like all of the characters, like supporting characters, hilarious, acting's brilliant. It also talks about the Muslim American experience in a nuanced way. It doesn't feel like a a PSA so that's lovely and it was just really cool seeing Arabic on screen like not only subtitles but like in the um the title card is like in Arabic mm. or when it says um a Hulu original that's yeah. translated into Arabic as well characters speak Arabic on screen all the time it feels like really natural yeah um, Rami goes back to Egypt you see like people in mosques and stuff so it's like super ground I yeah it's groundbreaking that you see people just be casually Muslim on American TV. They also address 9-11 and what mm. it was like for Rami to experience that. So you see 9-11 through the eyes of a 12-year-old Egyptian kid. Yeah. In New Jersey. 
which I think is the first time I've ever seen it from a Muslim perspective in an American mainstream show. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I I haven't watched the show. I've been like holding off on watching it just because I've been in a like a repetition cycle where I just oh, rewatch yeah. the same <laughs> things. So I haven't started anything new. Like I just I just finished like the seventh season of Sex and the City for like <laughs> the eighth time. Um, I'm always watching Sex and the City. Like it's never not happening. It's just about like which part of the of the show I'm in. Um, I'm always rewatching it. I'm always rewatching New Girl. I'm getting to New Girl. Really? I, I think that it gets it gets a lot better. Like like after the first season. But I think I think the first season I could see why someone would be like not into it if they had only watched the first season because it's not it takes a while I think for the writing to like mm. to hone in on like what what the actors can do together yeah and I'm just like always rewatching stuff yeah so I feel like I need I need to start something fresh yeah because I literally my first thought the other day was like oh I'm about to rewatch chewing gum your mind okay but yeah a good decision. The Rami is only, I think it's like two seasons, 10 episodes per season, but the episodes are only like 20 minutes long. Okay. So you yeah. Well, aren't you, aren't you watching Broad City right now? Yes, I'm watching Broad yes. City. Yes, I love Broad <laughs> City so much. It's one of my like all-time favorite shows because it's just so okay. fun to watch. It's so fun to watch. Like, I don't know, some it's- like some shows, like you watch it and like, like maybe you laugh, but it's not like a full bodied laugh. <laughs> but I think that, that like ridiculous. Broad City like <laughs> makes me cry laughing sometimes. Like Alana and Abby are just like so goofy. Goofy. My friend said the show was like a fever dream. And I was like, yes. It is. Like, what am I? Because they're <laughs> disgusting. They're also, you know what? I know the show's good because they're irritating, but they're really, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Start watching that. My main takeaway, as soon as I watched the first episode is that Lana is hopelessly in love with Abby. Um, yeah. yeah, and at first I was like, I was like, am I just noticing this? Like when I watched the first episode and I've, as I've been watching someone like the eighth episode now, I'm about to start the eighth one. Um, I'm like, oh, this is clearly like a running joke that they're playing with. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just a, a continuous thing where like Alana is just, like that Alana loves her more than anyone else. I mean, I think, I think it evolves, like, over the course of the show and, like, you get a better sense of, like, where that comes from. But, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it's not really going to... It's not going to change. I think you're just going to get more and more confirmation that that is what it is. I still haven't watched the actual last season of Broad City. So I, I mm-hmm. am not sure how the show actually closes everything out. But, but I feel like from all the seasons I did watch, I was kind of, like, it was pretty clear that like the love that they have for each other is pretty strong, but especially from Alana to Abby. Yes, and it seems to me that Alana's definitely queer because she's had like so much sex on the show already and all of men, and I've only seen her enjoy it with one man. And that's because he was going down on her. So it wasn't any... <laughs> you have to, oh my gosh, you have, to, see, you have to wait for the episode. There's an episode where um, Alana falls for a girl who looks like almost exactly like her. I mean, it's um, not, <laughs> but it's no, but it's actually hilarious because um, it's uh, Aaliyah Shakwat, I think is the actress's name. Mm-hmm. She's from Search Party, but um, but it's so funny. Like they both have curly hair and like are like a little ambiguous. <laughs> it's like it's like so funny. Like when like when they meet each other because they're just super into each other. Um, and it's just a really funny episode because it takes a while for. Alana to be like is it weird that we look exactly alike yeah every time I say Alana I'm like honey you're gay 
<laughs> I'm like, honey, you are you are not straight. I need you like to stay like queer to um give people like wiggle room because like I don't know people's identities that are but I'm like, no, this this girl is gay. <laughs> and the other thing is that Abby's painfully straight, so <laughs> I feel for Alana, bless bless her heart. Yes, Alana's very funny. And I mean, her and like Hannibal Burris, <laughs> like such, a, have such an interesting <laughs> dynamic. I'm like, you guys, we having sex, but you, you guys are friends. I'm like, I also don't understand why I'm always just calling him dentist Hannibal, but his name, when is his name, Lincoln? Um, Lincoln, yeah. I don't understand why he's entertaining such a slob. <laughs> You're a whole dentist. <laughs> what are you doing with this girl? Yeah, he and Alana don't really make, they don't make a lot of sense. But they are definitely like, I think I think they challenge each other in interesting ways, like over the course of the show. This week, I can tell this week together that I can tell they bring each other joy. Yeah. In terms of a friendship. But but just a friendship. I don't see anything else. It's a good show. It's a good show. I need to block off some time to watch that last season finally. Oh, I thought you were gonna say rewatch. <laughs> oh no, I will I would do that too, but I think I need to finish the show before I can do the rewatch. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, how does a method to this? yeah <laughs> okay do you want to get get into it yes get into <laughs> this it. episode i've been excited for this episode to be honest i think it's going to be an inch resting conversation <laughs> so things to say <laughs> yeah so we're going to talk about <clears throat> that small interview that this um freelance journalist called oprah winfrey did <laughs> <laughs> With these two commoners called Harry Windsor and <laughs> Meghan Markle. So yes, we'll be discussing that. Yes. And uh, a quick trigger warning for this episode. We will be talking about depression, um, mental health struggles, and suicidal ideation. So if these are topics which you would like to uh, kind of, you know, take out of your media diet. Um, maybe this is not the best episode for you, but, you know, stay tuned if you're interested in how we explore those issues amongst others. And if this isn't the episode for you, but this is the first episode you're watching, then there's like loads of other stuff that we've done. Can't believe we're on eight, eight episode, actually. Yes, I know. It's it's kind of iconic. It's, it's great. Uh- <laughs> So shall we get into the background info? Yes, yes, let's let's lay out lay out the landscape. Ooh, right. So Prince Harry is the grandson of Queen Elizabeth II and the son of Prince Charles, who is next in line to the throne because he is the Queen's eldest son. Harry used to be third in line to the throne because he is Charles's second son, but because his elder brother Prince William has children, he is now sixth in line. As we all know, Harry's mother, the beloved Princess Diana, or as I like to say, the patron saint of the African diaspora, (laughs) or at least the Anglophone (laughs) African diaspora, died in a car crash while being chased by the press in 1997, weeks before Harry's 13th birthday. This tragic incident is the root of Harry's disdain and terse relationship with the press. Harry's family, the House of Windsor, is one of the few remaining monarchies in the world and certainly one of the most powerful. The British royal family was the face of British imperialism. For instance, Queen Elizabeth II was the last empress of India. 
A significant amount of the wealth that the royal family has amassed is rooted in the pillaging, looting, land theft, rape, enslavement, and genocide of Britain's colonization of 25% of the globe, the biggest empire in history. This imperial violence continues as the Commonwealth, a conglomerate of Britain's former territories. The Queen is the head of the Commonwealth and continues to be the head of state of 16 nations, despite their independence from the British. Nevertheless, despite their infamous history, the survival of the British royal family is constantly under threat as they struggle to prove their relevance now that republicanism is the norm. Prior to her marriage with Prince Harry, American actress Meghan Markle was best known for her role as Rachel Zane on the legal drama Suits. In 2016, Markle began publicly dating Prince Harry, and in that year, following a series of racist and slanderous comments in the media, Prince Harry took to his communications secretary to release a statement on his behalf in defense of Markle, whose mixed-race heritage and Black mother in particular emerged as recurring topics of discourse. In May of 2018, the couple were married at Windsor Castle as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. A year later, Markle gave birth to a son, Archie Mountbatten Windsor. After a series of public incidents with the UK media in particular, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex office moved to Buckingham Palace and was officially closed on March 31st, 2020, when the Sussexes ceased undertaking official engagements and relocated to Canada and then California. On March 7th, 2021, the couple's first broadcast interview since their resignation, Oprah with Meghan and Harry, aired in the United States and then worldwide. The main points of controversy from the interview that we will be discussing are the following. One, the racism that Meghan Markle endured from the British press and how it caused her mental health to deteriorate. Two, the royal family and institutions refusal to protect Meghan from the malicious false stories about her. Three, the royal family's refusal to give Meghan Harry's son Archie any royal title because he should be a prince. Four, the royal family's refusal to give Prince Harry and Archie any security. And five, but certainly not least, the question about Archie's skin tone. So, oh, um, oh as a leading... <laughs> Why are you laughing already? <laughs> Miss ma'am? <laughs> so, for our lead-in question, um, we, like, you know we're thinking that the, the question that was going to lead, lead us in is kind of, you know, how aware of the royal family were you before the Oprah interview? And what did you think of the interview? Well, I, I'm British, so <laughs> the yes. royal family was... <laughs> yes, you <laughs> are, you don't say. <laughs> As um, a descendant of the British Empire who's found herself in the metropolis by way of Rindwash, yeah, like, the royal family is very pervasive. So there wasn't a time I didn't know who the queen was. Definitely knew who the queen was before I knew, like, about prime ministers or any of the politics um, of the United Kingdom. And I'd, I don't know if Americans realise, like, that the royal family is everywhere because, like, if you see anything in HM that's attached to Britain, it means Her Majesty. So, like, our mm. version of the IRS is... HMRC, which is Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Oh my! Oh, okay. Yeah, like it's it's deep. <laughs> <laughs> She's on all of her money. Not all, well, most of her coins. 
she's on, I can't remember which note she's on, but she's on banknotes. One thing on a passport, it says the queen requests that you allow a subject or a citizen into your country or something like that. Mm, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm also like a subject. <laughs> it's weird. It's getting weird. Like <laughs> it's so strange. The royal family shouldn't exist. I'm sorry. Like I feel like Prince Philip is the walking embodiment of the monarchy because it's a living like it's a walking corpse. It should have <laughs> like I don't know why why they don't let him go let him go to the next round because he looks he looks very like done. And that's how I feel about the monarchy. I'm like why don't you just pass on <laughs> disrespectfully. It's giving walking dead. It's give it's very much giving walking dead. <laughs> And it's at odds with what modernity is, modernity, quote unquote. Like even in like a white liberal sense, like you can't say that all people are equal in the United Kingdom because we have a monarchy. Yeah, it's just very strange. Our taxes pay for Buckingham Palace and the Queen's, all the royal family's living expenses. It's odd. It's really, really weird. Um, Yeah. He has to swear in all of the um prime ministers so um yeah once we elect a prime minister part of the procedure is that the prime minister has to get their approval from mm-hmm. queen elizabeth of course she has to she has to say yes but that's the procedure and stuff yeah so it's like a ceremonial type thing yeah and lots yeah. of money's wasted it's there's, there's other ceremonies and stuff to do with parliament and the queen that go down mm. yeah it's it's gross. Um, so yeah, there's a real family. <laughs> that, that's so, that's so like, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, US like electoral politics aren't, aren't much better. And certainly there's a quite a bit of drama and pageantry <laughs> in our political, in our political, in our political life as well. But the, the kind of like monarchy piece is a bit, is, is like a very different thing. And so I think my engagement with the royal family is pretty much limited to like US tabloid media. Um, I think the first time, even as a kid, I think the first time I recognized that like the royal family were a thing, I think was like, they were on the cover of like People Magazine or something like that. Or like, like like Harry was in, was in the news for something. Maybe when, when Kate joined the family, that was something I remember Mm-hmm. because the wedding was like a, a big deal and they were addressing it but I don't think otherwise I ever really thought very much about about the royal family always thought it was kind of like an outdated it thing is. so I was always kind of like under the impression that that at some point it had just become a, a bit of a figurehead but I wasn't sure I guess how much actual influence they still had that's still it's really weird because they're influential but they don't have a lot of political power that's waned throughout the years. And if you look at British p- history, since they decided to behead their king after the English Civil War back in the 17th century, Parliament's been doing all that it can to have more power over the monarch. And mm-hmm. all the monarchs since have been very, very like careful about like overstepping the mark. And so fast forward to modern day, they're really just there as a very expensive, as expensive wallpaper, essentially. 
Um, but the one thing they're good for is like the public holidays because I, I remember the royal wedding because um, we got a long weekend because we got, I got the day of school. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. The queen has like jubilees and things like that. She has two birthdays. So um, why does she have two birthdays? I don't know. One is like the royal birthday and then one is actual birthday mm, okay. she's, got, she's got two of them for some reason so there's been like street parties for the queen that's something the brits love doing um <laughs> wave the little flags and have street parties for the queen yeah i'm sure they live forever but i'm sure uh, once they log off we'll have like public holidays too <laughs> we'll have a day of mourning i think the country will go into like a period of mourning once the queen dies i know that's a whole thing so. Wait, so who who comes who replaces her? It'll be Prince Charles. I'm sure he's in his 70s. But yeah, he's like the oldest. He's definitely the longest waiting first in line. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because he's already quite old. Yeah. They used to confuse me a lot as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I'm confused now. <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah, it's 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 a lot. The crown has definitely helped. I didn't know a lot of... I only knew who the main players were, so I knew, like, Queen, Prince Philip, Prince Charles, and then Prince Harry and William. The rest of them, I had no idea who they were, even though I was seeing them quite often. Um, but now I know who's related to who. Well, they're all related to each other because they're inbred, but... <laughs> now, we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit more a little later. Because... Yes. <laughs> Because because they was they was disrespecting Mr. Archie and I'm not here for it. But we'll get into that. Uh, um, so yeah, so what did you think about the interview? So I think I had two different trains of thought. Like I had one train of thought that was focused on like what was actually like said by Megan and Harry in the interview and kind of that insight into the politics of being attached to the monarchy. I also really appreciated the way that Megan refers to it as like the firm or the institution. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a very clear way that I think she situates it as like a job and that like, it's really a question of like workplace conditions in some, in some regard, which I thought was an interesting point that she makes. But then I think the other train of thought I have is that the genre of the Oprah interview is a very distinct one. Um, mm -hmm. And Oprah is like, you know, a, a very special person in, in the way that she is able, able to do those things. And yeah, I think at the end, I was kind of just, I kind of kept repeating, like, were you silent or were you silent? <laughs> <laughs> she deserves an Emmy for that alone. And then she already has enough. One thing about Oprah, she's, she's good at her job. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I want to get this out of the way because it's not on like the list of things that we mm -hmm. need to say. Tyler Perry. <laughs> <laughs> not Medea goes to Buckingham. I just like, I can't, like Medea rescuing them is the is actually like the funniest part. A whole prince of England. <laughs> My thing is like, do you think, do you think Harry... You think Harry was in like Tyler Perry's home, like watching the movies? Stop! I I would like to think so. I'd like to think that Archie's first word was hello. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if 
wonder if Prince Harry even knows who Tyler Perry is. Well, now like, he does. The cultural significance of Tyler Perry. I wonder if he knows whose house he was in. <laughs> I, don't, I wonder if he really understood. And I wonder if Megan told him. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? Maybe Megan was like, you know what? It's better if... <laughs> You know what? I, and I wouldn't be surprised if she was kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a need to know type of situation. That's so, I can't believe. I was like, you know what? That's why they didn't want black people in the <laughs> Maybe they made some points. Because now they're like, now they're one level removed from Tyler Perry. I don't think they were ever anticipating any crossover between the crown. No. Even wasn't yeah. that. Now they're indebted to Tyler Perry. That's even they owe Tyler <laughs> It's so awkward. It's so awkward. I know, I know, I know the queen was like, what? If they even brought it to her, I'm certain that the people, the people in charge of giving her information were like, should should we even share this one? That's something that interests me because like, as you're, you're right to say that, um, Megan distinguishes like the firm and the institution from the actual mm-hmm. like family. But I'm like, at some point, if you're the Queen of England, then why aren't you <laughs> involved in decision making? Like that whole thing is very, very strange to me. I'm like, surely they had some part of playing thing. And I I refuse to believe that they have accountability and they're just puppets. Yeah. By strings, like must- Yeah, I mean I wouldn't be surprised though, because I feel like sometimes when people get that much like authority, they kind of just like delegate tasks so like I wouldn't be surprised if it was almost like kind of bureaucratic and there was just like all this kind of like you go to this person to tell you to go to that person to do this versus like the queen just signing off on everything agreed but very very important decisions like Archie not having a title which we'll get into yeah I'm like how did the queen not step in and be like nah Uh-uh. I mean, I, I, that, may, that may have been her handiwork because that does, to me, seem like a choice that would have had to go through her compared to, like, some of the other things, which may have been more, um, like, some of the mental health stuff that Megan was dealing yeah. with. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of, like, their human resources people that were kind of responsible for helping her get access to resources that they didn't help her get access to. But I imagine the title piece would have absolutely had to go before the queen because I don't see how anyone else would be able to make that decision. Okay, so let's get into the discussion. Megan's mental health and all the racism that she faced. Yeah, so there's like a point in the interview where Megan basically talks about how she was suicidal, like at a point in her pregnancy with Archie because of a lot of the the kind of attacks she was receiving in the media and the conversations that were happening around her. And she also spoke a lot to the racism that persisted throughout like the pregnancy, but also just like her her time in, in the public eye in relationship to the family. And she does reference, you know, comments that were made about what Archie's skin color was going to look like. And there were also lots of things in the media about, about her mother and about like, you know, her, her upbringing. Um, so there was just a lot of really, really like targeted attention that she was receiving and it had a really negative impact on her mental health. And it was, I think, really disturbing how much that the suicidal aspect of, of her, of her like experience was like underemphasized to me, like in terms of how like everyone was talking about the interview. It stood out to me a lot that like there was a point where this woman was, was ready to like to hurt herself potentially 
and that it felt like nobody was really talking about how how intense that was and didn't want to be left alone either yeah there's a story about i think the first time she told harry that she was suicidal the first time she realized it mm-hmm. and they had to go in the go to an event and she rather get dressed up and go to that event than stay at home because she was afraid what she'd do if she'd be, be alone and mm-hmm. i think on top of the racism she was also very isolated whilst being in like the royal household they, they don't, i don't think they lived in buckingham palace they lived elsewhere but she was constantly told that she shouldn't go out to meet friends that she should lie low because um she was constantly in the press but she was already lying though she essentially described it as being in lockdown before lockdown happened like being in quarantine yeah so she did not see her friends she also got her passport driver's license and other forms of id taken from her um when she joined um mm-hmm. i guess that's procedure yeah when you're a royal so she can go out by herself essentially other, unless she wanted to like walk so she couldn't visit people can have people visit her. So yeah, it was just, she was already in a dark place and already in a very um, strange place. And then you have all of that, the public attention on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just, it sounds like, like a very kind of intense situation for her to be in. And I think Harry having grown up in the family perhaps wasn't, you know, wouldn't know what it was like for someone who had a relatively regular life to then be brought into that kind of space. Um, because I mean, Megan was Megan was an actress, but she wasn't so popular that she wouldn't have been able to go around by herself. Like I'm certain that like, you know, prior to, to being with Harry, that she was able to go to the store, right? Without like security and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because like Suits, Suits was never that big of a show. And like prior to that, I know that she was on like The Price is Right in things like that. So I imagine that she wasn't like, you know, she wasn't so famous that she couldn't, she couldn't move around. So I imagine it was a really big shift. Yeah. And even then like famous people, they're not being told whether they can go out or not typically. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they may have to go out with security and stuff, but they can still live their life um, yeah. to a level of difficulty. But like Megan was yeah, stuck. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I found myself having a lot of like, sympathy and empathy for her also the way that the press went after her the british press in particular yeah um, there's a special type of disgusting that they're an expert in the way that they vilified megan Piers morgan also which is like very disturbing how he went on he went to dinner with um megan but like one time yeah (laughs) not even the one time but was also part of like the press tour for suits Mm-hmm. went to, on a date with him not a date she went to dinner with him for her job it was very clearly about so yeah all the correspondence was related to her work and this dusty crusty our batman felt so entitled to her that he thought they could have a thing which the audacity got upset when megan stopped talking to him once she got in contact with when she started dating harry and was upset when he wasn't invited to the wedding. I was like, who do you think you are? It, like, I just think it's so weird how attached he is to that whole thing. And also how much time he spends publicly talking about Megan as if she like 
rejected him or like ended their friendship or something. And it's like nothing that he's spoken to indicates a friendship existed. Mm. Really a business acquaintance. Yeah, it was like, it's like you're, you're really putting a lot on that word friend or date because it sounds to me like Miss Girl was on the job. <laughs> oh, <he's laughs> like, he was married the entire time that happened. So that's also that's cool. another reason why it's weird. But I also like would not expect Piers Morgan to have like any sense of like boundaries or filter. It's also very, very strange that Megan didn't receive help once she went to the firm to say that she was um, suicidal because because she wanted to check herself into a facility. She wanted to mm-hmm. get help. Yeah. And they were denied that to her. And it's like you would put a pregnant woman at risk after already all the controversy with Diana, you've already had yeah. a a daughter-in-law of the family die in a horrific yeah. way far before our time. And there are already conspiracy theories that you lot played a role in yeah. killing her. And you were going to let the first <laughs> um, mixed-raised um, woman in the family potentially kill herself while pregnant like I just I'm I'm confused about a lot of their assessment of the situation to be honest more so because I think that they really underestimated the role that Megan could play Mm. and like we can talk about this a little bit more when we get into kind of thinking about like the neo-imperialism and kind of thinking a little bit about the role of like representation and like you know, the crown's kind of desire to present themselves as like being modern and contemporary in a certain way. But I think it's it's super odd to me that they didn't see how important it was for Megan to be okay. Yes. That just seems off. Yes. All they had to do was treat her decently. Like not even yeah. well, not even amazingly, just decently. And none of this would have happened. Because it's yeah. very clear in the interview that Harry and Meghan were like, we want to be a part of the royal family. They yeah. said, we want to be a part of the imperialism. <laughs> yeah, like at no point was the discussion like, oh, abolish the crown, right? And that would have been, that had been the discussion I was interested in, right? Like that had been a discussion I'd have been like, I'm listening, right? <laughs> but like, no, the conversation is really just like the crown was mean to me, right? And that was really like the majority of the conversation. And so my thing is like, Megan's not even like, a radical for real right like she's not she really didn't come in like with any intention to knock everything down although perhaps she should have but she didn't right and so it's like to think that she was like on track to be the kind of like you know like mixed race kind of like representative of the family as like forward thinking in some kind of way and that they kind of that they disrespected her so significantly that now it's now it's kind of further implying that they that they aren't of the future and so I think it's kind of weird because I think normally these kinds of power structures are very strategic and very aware of how they need to adapt to continue being in power and continue having the positions they have but I think that they really underestimated the importance of Megan for asserting that future and even like not giving Archie a title feels like again like another kind of move that they're gonna regret yeah I think honestly like most of Britain they're just committed to being miserable because again yeah because you said being this disgusting towards Megan and malicious and punitive 
is against their self-interest because it's always going to backfire. So I don't understand. And surely it would have been easier just to take care of Megan. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, they, like, it's not like it's a choice between being nice to Megan and being anti-Black. They could have done both. Like, we, <laughs> they could have absolutely done both. Like, they could have absolutely been like, we're going to remain anti-Black, right? Like, those are our colonial roots, and we're going to stay in touch with those traditions and still prop Megan up as, like, this kind of distraction yeah. of, in terms of their interests. Like, many, many, like, you know, institutions have done that before successfully um and it's been a huge part of like a neoliberal kind of project to like diversify diversify institutions that like at their core are anti-black and anti-indigenous and like you know and colonial and I think it's weird it's weird that they don't get that like I was I was shocked that they didn't see the opportunity there and I don't know if it's just because everyone is old and just maybe a little out of touch potentially but I just was shocked that they didn't see that Megan could have very well been an asset. And I think even Megan and Harry say that in the interview where they're mm-hmm. like, we could have been assets, which is a whole other concern in, t- in terms of thinking about what it means to be an asset to empire. But I just think that like, it's odd that they didn't see the value that they could have brought as like a, a younger face and a, a potentially more diverse image of what, what the, the royal uh, family could look like. Mm. Yeah, let's let's talk about this asset business because I had a lot of, I still do, I still have a lot of sympathy and empathy for Megan of what she's been through. And I was on her side during the Oprah interview until she mm-hmm. said, oh, I could have been very representative for the Commonwealth. Yeah. And that snapped me right back into reality because the, yeah. in my opinion, the Commonwealth is so violent in that it's um britain clinging to its empire mm-hmm. and so as someone who's jamaican like the queen is still head of state in jamaica it makes me sick considering the the violence all of the violence yeah. that slavery has brought to um jamaica and the rest of the caribbean and also like the u.s mm-hmm. um before they became independent and megan willingly wanting to be a part of that and also romanticizing it because they talk about, oh, we could have, me and Harry could have moved to a different part of the Commonwealth, like South Africa. I'm like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so that sent me right back. And I saw people, yeah. you know, like live tweeting and they were like, oh, we stand, like we stand Megan, da, 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 da. I'm like, let's keep our eyes on the prize, people. Yeah. <laughs> this woman is a very, very happy not just happy, not even complacent, but willing, like offering herself to be an instrument of empire. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, this whole situation is really about the empire discriminating against her and her, on her in her pursuit to participate in it, right? And so I think that there is a question of like, is this really a conversation about the crown needs to integrate or is it the question of like the crown is already like an illegitimate thing, right? Like it's already an illegitimate body of power and that like it has, like we don't recognize its authority. Like it's a very different posture than I think the one that Megan takes up where where she is really kind of like, check my LinkedIn. Like it's basically the energy she's on, right? Like she's like, check my credentials. Like I could have absolutely been 
been that girl for y'all. Um, and I think that she basically is like, y'all are going to regret not seeing the value I could have brought to this institution. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and I think it's funny because I think in some ways, inadvertently, this is going to be a bit of a blow to them, but I, but not because that's what she wanted. Yes. And it's also weird to me how Harry and Meghan pick and choose when they're concerned about like colonialism. Yeah. Because the Commonwealth is colonialism. It can only exist because of colonialism. Yeah. But I remember when Harry came on, he picked out this quote where um, I think it was like British MPs said that the way the press talk about Meghan is very colonial. And he was like, this is so racist. It's a terrible thing. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, now you're upset about colonialism. You can't yeah. have the first baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of their their whole dynamic in that interview for me felt like an issue of thinking that they could have both, that they could like have admittance into, into this kind of uh, remaining body of, of like British empire, but that they weren't going to have to deal with the consequences of that. And like the moment it touched them personally, they're like, wait, what? And it's like, well, what did you think? What did you think was going to happen? Because I think in some ways it's kind of odd to me because obviously like, you know, I think, the, the racism that Megan has received, that her mother has received, and even that, like, you know, that Archie received in utero, might <laughs> I add. Like, the fact that, like, that this, <laughs> that Archie was experienced, like, was getting microaggressions in utero is a real, is a real problem for me. But part of me feels like that doesn't make her special. You know what I mean? Like, in, in a way, it's like, she's not the first or the last person of African descent to be treated that way by the British Empire. And certainly, I mean, certainly her circumstances are far better than most Black women who encountered who encountered the, the state historically. While I get like, you know, that what happened to her is, is messed up. I also kind of feel like she's a part of a larger history, but she's like picking and choosing like when she wants to be recognized as a part of that history. Yes. And the other crazy thing is that Megan's treated so despicably and she barely looks black. <laughs> she, she's light-skinned, usually has her hair straight. Like, she is the most palatable person of African descent that you could probably find to put in um, yeah. Buckingham Palace. And she only would have seen the inside of Buckingham Palace looking the way she does. If she looked like me or you, <laughs> wouldn't have gotten that far. And still... And still the royal family treat her like that. Like, yeah. that's something that's always disturbed me. I'm like, if if she looked like, if you're treating her and she looks like that, she's also gorgeous, by the way. Desirability politics are part of that as well. But you're treating her like that. Imagine if it was little old me. <laughs> Dark as I am. <laughs> I feel like the situation with Megan is really interesting because I think it reminds me that like, while of course, you know, anti-blackness has a very particular like you know manifestation for for darker skinned black people in comparison to lighter skinned black people I think there is a a interesting way in which in in Megan's situation there's this kind of extra piece where I think a lot of what informs the anti-blackness around her is is not so much about how she looks and how like she would be immediately racialized and more about the awareness of her Mm. right of her of her parentage right because I think one, Megan was raised primarily by her her mother, Doria Ragland, who is Black, and, and her grandmother, who has since passed. 
her relationship with her her father, her white parent, has been notably strained um, since she was a child, but especially now with everything going on. And I think it's interesting because the most consistent representative of her of her family has been her mother. And I think it's been a continuous reminder of the fact that Megan is that Megan is black or part black, however someone wants to refer to her. And I think that I think it's the fact that people are not allowed to really forget. I also think that another part that's like emphasizing Megan's blackness in addition to like her like her kind of parentage and like the way her mother has been a big part of a part of some of the media conversations around her. I also think that black people's response to her has has had a big part in that too, because I think as she experienced more and more like racial kinds of comments and like attacks, I think we've seen more and more black people be sympathetic towards her, which makes her symbolic. And then it's like attacking her is an extension of like making your statement about, about all black people. Mm. Yeah. Keeping us in our place. Yeah, it just shocks me the lengths to which the royal family go to to keep their whiteness intact, even with somebody like Meghan. So I'm particularly referring to denying Archie a title, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Like, how can you be like the great grandson of the queen, the grandson of the future king, and you don't yeah. have a title? Like, your cousins are going to have titles. Your cousins are princes. And not princes. you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not. Your uncle could be the king but you're not and also not giving harry and archie securities to put in their lives at risk mm-hmm. after harry's mother died by being chased by the press yeah it doesn't make any sense i mean i guess it does make sense if if <laughs> you're trying like to- you know i mean like i mean if if the goal if the goal is to really punish punish harry to punish yeah. Megan, and to punish archie both for for maybe not representing the crown the way that they wanted them to. But additionally, where Megan and Archie are concerned for not being white enough, um, I do think, I do think that it does, it does make sense if we regard that whole engagement as being intentional Mm -hmm. um, and that there is a desire to punish them potentially for the ways that they might feel like they have not represented them well right like I mean like the queen made a statement like after the Oprah interview came out and it seemed like she was a little uh she I mean she didn't say much but it seemed like it's like she wasn't a fan of the way that they were represented oh yeah it's it's been a shambles <laughs> back home <laughs> because <laughs> the royal family is stressed as it should be um and they're doing photo ops of any black person that they can find which is oh my god you saw that that <laughs> that interview with the random black lady who was just there and it was like why is she here what's the context for this i know and she was wearing like a beautiful top but it was like an african print so they need to make it ethnic as possible i was like are y'all not embarrassed it's too much i was like this is so awkward and that's how i know that they're out of touch because it's like we're in a moment right now where like people are virtue signaling at like increasing levels and I just feel like I thought that the crown would have better resources for handling something like this they move like brokies like they move (laughs) yeah I just like I was like I thought y'all had money like where is the consultant like y'all don't have nobody to help y'all finesse the situation because uh, like again like despite all the treatment Megan has received 
it still doesn't seem to me like her argument is that this body should not exist. Mm. And my thing is also like, even the fact that like they talk about the comment someone made about like, oh, how dark, how dark, like, you know, Archie's skin might be that she's still protecting them because she's like, oh, like, I'm not gonna, like, it would have negative consequences or negative impact on someone's life to share who made those comments. And it's like, well, what about the negative impact it had on your life, on your child's life? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but like <laughs> anybody, anybody talking crazy to me about my unborn child, like I'm airing y'all out. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, like I'm airing you out um, because it's gross, one. But two, it's like, who thought that Megan and Harry together were gonna make anything other than what Archie looks like? <laughs> Like, that's my concern. Like, obviously, like, genetics are complicated. And yes, there's always a chance that something unexpected can happen. But I just feel like the chances were fairly low that Archie was going to be much darker than Megan. Yeah. Even if he had a little hint, like, he was, like, there was never, I don't think that there was really high percentage chance that he was going to look much different than his mother if, if he looked anything like her. Yes. And he looks like the spitting image of Harry anyway. Exactly. I mean, maybe he's a little cuter than Harry, which I will attribute to the Black because I am a Black supremacist. <laughs> That's just me. That's just me. But in general, like, I just feel like, like, when I did the math, like, when I thought about the Punnett Square, I'm confused why they were concerned. Like, that didn't make sense to me. Obviously, there are examples of people with similar backgrounds who still, like, you know, would be racialized as Black. Like, Dandy Newton's kids are holding it down. <laughs> The ancestors, the ancestors are clinging on to them. <laughs> They're holding it down. But um, looks more, I don't want to say looks more black. Well, yeah, she looks more black than Megan anyway. So that kind of- Yeah, I mean, and they also have different backgrounds. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Thandi, is Thandi South African? Yes. I believe. I like Zimbabwe is what's- Maybe, she could be Zimbabwean, um, but I, I'm pretty sure that Thandi's, um, Thandi's father yeah. is African. And Megan's mother is African-American. So, I mean, like, I'm not surprised, like, you know, that there would be, like, there's always going to be range in terms of, like, how people look. I mean, even Megan, like, Megan doesn't have any siblings, but, like, she could have a sibling that looked completely different from her. Absolutely. Um, like, we don't know what else even her parents, like, her parents' um, DNA would have created in other variations. But I think it's just, like, it's just super weird to me that they were even concerned about that. I mean, obviously, like, white people have a long history of like being anxious about <laughs> about black people and black black things and about purity um in general but I think to me it's odd because it's like I don't know I just feel like when I look at Megan and I look at Archie I feel like it makes sense that that's what her child would look like and I just think it's odd that they were so like concerned because I just don't feel like I mean there obviously were black people on Twitter who were like fanficking that Archie was going to come out, you know, looking <laughs> people who thought Archie was going to look like Chris Rock for some reason. But <laughs> like, like obviously there were the, like the Negro fan fiction delegates were obviously in there, in their bag, thinking that Archie was going to look like all kinds of people that he does not look like. But in general, like, I just thought it was a weird, a weird moment, but I think it makes sense when I think about who that, like that family and their history that of course that they would have some concerns about about racial purity yes so some people were saying on twitter that 
why would they be concerned about Archie? Or no, it was more like, how dare they be concerned about Archie's skin tone when they're inbreds? <laughs> and that's 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 the primary question. And that's, but <laughs> I think to me, those two things are very much interlinked because yeah. the crown is all about, or the royal family is all about purity of blood. Like you must have more mm-hmm. words within the family. For instance, there was controversy when William got engaged to Kate because Kate is a commoner. Yeah. So I remember even my mom saying, like, why am I paying taxes for a commoner to live in? <laughs> Good point. Um, <laughs> but she will not be queen, like an actual queen, when William becomes king because um, she has no royal blood. Mm-hmm. So I think eugenics leads itself quite nicely to the... Yeah, to the whole, the whole kind of... Yes, timeline the whole trajectory yeah there is a very strong focus on pure impure blood keeping the bloodline correct there's even like a history of the royal family hiding away disabled members family mm-hmm. members and even saying that they're dead like writing records that they're dead but they actually send them off elsewhere because they wanted they didn't want the bloodline to be undermined mm-hmm. because if they don't have this perfect pure bloodline then there's even less excuse to say that they are the family that should be yeah reigning and so it's no surprise that the family also has deep ties with nazis <laughs> sympathy towards nazis and well i'm sure i don't know if any of them were actually no they none of the family members were like actual like fully fledged like in the military nazis but there's definitely like yeah. well documented sympathy for Nazism. Harry dressed up Harry? as one of his. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember that being in the front of newspapers. Harry the dressed up as one of his um, ancestors, as one of his predat- <laughs> forefathers. <laughs> that was muscle memory. That it was is. muscle memory. And no one could tell me different. Yeah. So I don't know if, if I considered a eugenesis, but I think there's definitely a eugenesis reading yeah. of blood purity and how race deeply mm-hmm. upsets that to the point where they will practically divorce Harry, the grandson of the Queen, and a very well-known, one of the most famous faces of the royal family, they will completely divorce yeah. themselves from him in order to keep that blood purity intact. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I mean, like Harry and Meghan are really just collateral, really. I mean, because ultimately this is a project, like the project of like the crown and like their whiteness the kind of desire to establish themselves as like biologically different from mm-hmm. other people, right? Is it requires work, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's a deeply unnatural project and it requires a lot of actual work and effort. And in order to maintain that, you do have to get very comfortable with cutting people off who are not contributing yeah. to the project. And I think in some ways, I think Harry was naive about that. I I think he was naive about a lot of things like to the point where I'm a little confused about what what he expected because even his shock about the racism I'm like do you know who you are no that I also didn't buy like both from Harry and Meghan I'm like you married into a racist family one of the most racist families in history when and I'm saying that because of Britain's history of imperialism yeah their wealth is blood money bloodstained dripping so you married into this deeply racist family and then you're surprised that they were racist towards you? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what did you expect? This, this was never going to end well. Yeah, I just think that like, I don't know, I think that 
in some ways, like, while I have, I have more sympathy for Megan than I do for Harry, to be yes. honest, because I do think that Megan coming from outside of the family perhaps would have more likely been, been blindsided by some aspects of, of this process. And I do think that Americans perhaps aren't introduced to some aspects of what like the British monarchy really is. And it's also weird to me because like, even if she was like, not aware of some aspects of the Commonwealth, it's like, even as an American, like the British, the US and the British have their own history too. And it's like, like many black Americans were also enslaved by the British. So it's also just like confusing to me that like, that there would be this like kind of like, oh, this has nothing to do with me kind of engagement doesn't make sense to me either way. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it's very strange. But I especially found like Harry's confusion to be so awkward. His kind of like, oh, I'd never thought about racism until until now or until Megan, until my kids feels like very textbook, like interracial couple <laughs> dynamics. I noticed that the cash. They would make some serious money on YouTube as an interracial couple. Oh, like- <laughs> They would make serious money. I mean, they would have to fight the rest of the interracial couples. And like, once they once they beat the final boss of interracial YouTube, they can take over. Because I mean, the, the swirlers online, the sponsorships, like they're really, they're really making good money. Yeah, they're making good money and lots of celebrities are turning towards YouTube, Naomi Campbell. So, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a pivot there. there. There's a pivot there. And they could and they could absolutely do it. And, you know, I just hope we don't we don't see any super awkward antics like like we see on the other YouTube couples. Like my white boyfriend washes my hair. Stop, no. <laughs> OK, I think we need to wrap up. <laughs> Embarrassing. And that, though, I think. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To continue this conversation, check out our reading list for this episode on our link tree, where you'll find all the sources we read to shape this discussion. Please leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to because we'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter at at LoseYourSister and email us at LoseYourSister at gmail.com. We hope you'll be back for our next episode in two weeks. Bye. Bye.